0: Good morning. Good morning. Some of you may know that uh, Father Trent and I went to a clergy retreat this past uh, week. Uh, always the Thursday and Friday after Ash Wednesday is the diocesan clergy retreat. And while we were there, I heard, overheard a conversation uh, with between four priests, and it was a fairly Lenten conversation. And uh, the first p- priest uh, sort of went reluctantly. They began to talk about uh, temptation that they were filling and the first priest said my biggest temptation uh, is to look at things that I should not look at on the internet or in magazines or whatever and the second said you know that's that's bad but I I think mine's worse I really struggle with alcohol you know I've, I've even been known to get into the communion wine the third said brother that that's bad but I, I think mine's worse it's I just struggle with gambling and and in fact last saturday i took the loose offering and gambled it away on the online slots they kind of looked at the fourth it was his turn to go he said you know mine may be the worst of all it's gossip no if you'll excuse me i have to make some phone calls so. <laughs> you can decide which one of those was father trent but no um what, what, do you, what do you think of when you hear the word temptation? Do you think of the old Motown singing group? Was it just your imagination? Do you think of sweet treats or alcohol or sexy things or money? Sometimes we are tempted to waste time. It usually looks like this. In many ways, I think we have lost the language of temptation in our culture. We don't really think of sin or divine command so much. We think more about like potato chips. (laughs) We think about temptation. When we do think of temptation in a moral sense, we generally think of temptation as being invited to an indulgence that we ought to stay away from being invited to an indulgence that we ought to stay away from. And that is certainly not wrong, but I think we can actually approach it from another angle, the the sort of opposite direction, and to think about temptation as a seemingly attractive invitation away from who we have made a commitment to be. We can think of temptation as a seemingly attractive invitation away from who we have made a commitment to. In other words, in some moment of clarity or a religious awakening or a time of looking in the mirror and saying I've had enough or whatever it is, we decided we were going to live or be a certain way. And let's take it off the religious or moral context just to make the point. We said we're going to get up early and exercise. We said we're going to save X amount of dollars every month. And then temptation came along in the form of a seemingly attractive invitation away from that commitment. You know, Valentine's cookies were sitting out at work just begging to be eaten, calling louder and louder each time we walked by. We meant to get up, but the bed just felt so cozy. I should save, but you know, these Amazon deals are so good right now that I can save next month. (laughs) Because Amazon probably won't have deals next month, right? There, and there's this sort of implicit tension in temptation, right? You know should I or shouldn't I, will I or, or won't I? You I mean somebody who's going to Las Vegas intending, that what happens in Las Vegas is going to stay in Las Vegas. That's not really facing temptation, is it? I mean, they, there was no, I want to, but I shouldn't, you know, tension. There was, there was this, they were going there to do the thing they hoped would stay in Las Vegas. That's not temptation. The commitment there is not to stay away from the naughty behavior. The commitment is to do it and then to keep it a secret, right? Not temptation. PSA, it never stays a secret. Okay. Now, as Christians... In one way or another, we have said or we have committed that we want to be like Jesus, right? I mean, of course, we're, we're responding to the love and the grace of God. We're not committing to be like Jesus in order to earn the Father's love, but because the Father has given us his love, we've said we want to be like Christ. Our response to his grace is that we want to love God with all our heart and and soul, and mind, and strength, and we want to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Now, these, of course, are commandments, but on this side of grace, they're also what we want for ourselves. We want to love God first and foremost. We want to love all others with selflessness and grace. Except when they're jerks, right? Or accept when things don't go my way. Or accept when I'm hangry. Accept, 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 accept. I mean, how many times a day are we invited away or pulled away or swept away from who we have told God that we want to be? Too many times to count. And how many times do we accept that invitation? Too many times to count. And let me say that I'm right at the front of the line when I say that what happens over time is that we make excuses for ourselves and we make exceptions and we look the other way and and sort of uh, cut ourselves some slack. And we even begin to redefine in our own minds what Christian character is. Because the truth is, is we do love God, that when we hold his standards up to the way that we live our lives, in fact, if we even hold our own standards up to the way we live our lives, it's convicting and painful and causes feelings of shame. And what do we do with our shame? We stuff it down deep where no one else can see it, and we work real hard to only let people see the highlight reel. Now, I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I know what it looks like in my life. Now, in our gospel passage from Mark, Jesus comes up out of the water of baptism. He's dressed by the Holy Spirit and blessed by the voice of the Father. You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. And how does Jesus get rewarded? Forty days in the desert wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Now Jesus doesn't get sent to Las Vegas, right? It was in a desert, but different. Now just a few miles west of from the place where Jesus was baptized, is a devastatingly arid, brown, dirt, rock mountain. No water, no vegetation to be seen anywhere. The One who is the bread of life, the One who is the way and the truth and the life, the One who came that we might have life, was driven by the Spirit of life to the most lifeless place that you can imagine. And there, he was subjected to the invitation of Satan away from his commitment to the Father. And we know from the other Gospels of Matthew and Luke that Jesus was not tempted by things like sex or money. He was tempted to use his own inherent power for himself and you can just imagine the sneaky voice of satan putting that commitment to the test what kind of father tells you you're the beloved son and then sends you to a lifeless cave for 40 days he doesn't really love you if he loved you he'd feed you at least make yourself some bread out of these rocks If he loved you, he'd give you some of his authority. He'd not have you slumming it with these fishermen and tax collectors. Here, I'll share some of my authority with you. Parched and starved and alone, Jesus never wavers in his commitment to the Father. Even when the invitation must have seemed so attractive, he is tempted He's tested and he emerges victorious. Now why is that important? Please do not hear, Jesus did it so you should do it too. That is not the message. It is important that Jesus was victorious because you and I are united to the person of Christ. We are united to his perfect life, his atoning death, and his glorious resurrection by faith. It is not the size of your faith that matters, it is not the strength of your faith, nor even the consistency of your faith. What matters is the object of your faith. We are united to Christ by faith in Christ. And this union is marked by and sealed sacramentally through our baptism. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Such that His victory is your victory. His perfection is your perfection. His unwavering commitment is your unwavering commitment our spotty performance is replaced by christ's perfect record and our shame is swallowed up in his victory and healed by his love and his grace in christ the father does not look upon you and say "tisk tisk tisk," the way that we look at ourselves he does not think you should be ashamed of yourself the way we talk to ourselves. He looks at you and he sees Jesus. He looks at you and sees the you that he created you to be. He looks at you and sees value and worth and wholeness and glory and joy because you are clothed with Christ's righteousness. Ultimately, the temptation of Jesus and his victory over Satan's lying tests are about how Jesus came not to use his power for himself, but to use it for you. To live the life that we should have lived, to die for our sins so that we would not have to, and to rise from the dead to give us life. And so, whenever we find ourselves in a moral wilderness, facing a seemingly attractive uh, invitation away from trusting in God's plan for us, or being lured away from responding to his grace with love for God and others, or even when we have given in to that invitation, and maybe especially then, we can look to his victory once again in life, death, and resurrection. And rest assured in his gracious love for us. And perhaps this will give us the courage and the will to resist whatever indulgence seems so attractive in the moment. To love God above all else. To love our neighbors as ourselves. As we want to on this side of grace. Amen.